There are some characters in the Bible that seem embarrassingly true to life. And by that I mean when we see them, we see ourselves, and it's a little embarrassing. I think Peter is a character like that. Because Peter was the guy that was going to speak before he thought, or jump into action before he carefully thought through what he was doing. Peter was the one who suggested when Jesus had appeared with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was the one that said, Oh Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build tents for everybody. And God speaks and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Uh, Peter, however, was the one who made this great declaration when Jesus was asking his disciples, Who do people say that I am? His disciples said, some say this, some say that. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for that and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. Peter was, was capable of some astonishing things. But the next moment, right after that incident, when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be delivered over to the, the religious leaders and to the secular authorities and suffer and die and, and rise again, Peter said, no, let this never happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty stern rebuke for a man that had just given what we say this great declaration. You know, isn't it interesting, even in the story that we read in John chapter 21, Peter was the one who jumped right into the sea when he realized that it was Jesus. And the other disciples stayed in the boat and they did the work to get all the fish to the shore. But Peter was the one who dragged the net. And Peter was impetuous. He was tempestuous. He was the one that would speak, that would act. And in Peter, we often find ourselves. And there's another way in which we identify with Peter. And that is this. Peter failed in a really big way. And we fail in really big ways too. In fact, Peter failed in a way he never thought he would. In fact, Peter did the very thing he insisted he could never do. He denied his Lord three times. And the question that we need to ask is this. How did Peter get back up from such a fall? Relative to our series, Encounters with God, how does Jesus encounter a person who had fallen so far and bring him back up? Because we want to know that for ourselves. When you failed in a way you never thought you'd fail. When you keep on doing something you never thought you'd keep on doing. When you find yourself in a place you never thought you'd find yourself. How do you get back up? What does Jesus have to say to Peter? For those of you who may be unfamiliar with this story, let me rehearse to you the details or just at least give you a summary of it. See, Jesus has eaten his last supper with his disciples and he tells them, you will all fall away because of me this night. So these are men that had been following Jesus for about three years and then Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away because of me. So predictably, the disciples are saying, no, we're not going to do that. And then Peter says, with a gesture to his friends, though they fall away, I will never fall away. 
And of course, the, the other disciples join and say, no, we're not going to fall away either. But Jesus intensifies this prediction. At first he had said, you are all going to fall away because of me tonight. And then Peter says, I, I'm never going to do that. And Jesus says, actually, yes you are. Before the crow, the, crow, uh, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter raises his claim and he says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But Peter's claim as as bold and loyal as it sounded, uh, begin to be cast in doubt just a little bit later. Because Jesus went from there to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, he left the rest of the disciples and took with him three, the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he told them, he said, he said wait here and, and watch with me and pray because Jesus was anticipating the lowest moment of his life when he was going to go to be tried as a criminal and be, and be killed on a cross, suffering the separation from his heavenly father. Jesus was at his lowest moment and he begged his three closest disciples, stay right here and watch and pray with me. And Jesus goes beyond them. He goes a little further and, and then he prays and he comes back and he finds them fast asleep. Peter is snoring. And he has just said, I'm never going to deny you. I'm never going to fall away. Begins to look a little sketchy by this point. Jesus wakes them up. He goes back and prays again. Comes back. They're asleep. He wakes them up again. He goes and prays. He comes back a third time. They're asleep. He rouses them. He says, you'll have time to sleep later. My hour has come. A band of soldiers had arrived, led by Judas Iscariot, who identifies Jesus with a kiss. And they arrest Jesus. And all the disciples, the Bible tells us, run away. Now, Peter actually did not run completely away. Perhaps in his mind was the thought, that he had just insisted that he would not forsake Jesus. He and John actually followed at a distance. And at this distance, Peter goes into the courtyard of the high priest and this is where he begins to plummet downhill. His three denials come in three clusters as he encounters different groups of people. And they look at him and they say, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that is. And they ask him again. And the third time, he with curses and swearing says, I don't know the man. And so with that story in the background, we can see how dramatic this conversation must have been between Jesus and Peter after this great catch of fish and after they had breakfast. When it's just, just Peter and Jesus now. All this in the background. Peter has denied that he ever knew Jesus. In the very moment of Jesus giving his life for sinners, Peter says, I, I don't even know the man. And now it's just Peter and Jesus. What's Jesus going to say? What's this going to look like? So, how does Jesus restore someone who has failed in a way they never thought possible? We're going to answer that question in three parts. Okay, here we go. The first part is this. 
how Peter fell, second, what Peter learned, and third, how he was restored. All right, we're going to walk through the answer in these three parts. How Peter fell, what Peter learned, and how Peter was restored. First of all, how Peter fell. There, there are three factors that led to Peter's fall. And the first two factors are, would not be an issue if it weren't for the final three. There are factors around him, there are factors against him, and there are factors within him. So first of all, some factors around him. How did Peter fall? Peter had some things going on around him that was making him very afraid. Peter was in the garden at night when he sees lights coming. And he's just waking up from a sleep. He sees torches uh, approaching and there's pointy spears and swords and soldiers. And Peter is really scared. That's understandable. I've never been surrounded by a group of soldiers coming at me uh, to arrest uh, uh, someone I've been following. I could imagine that that would be a very fearful thing. And Peter, with this, these external factors, he's afraid. And then, even when he follows Jesus at a distance and makes it as close as the courtyard of the high priest, he's surrounded by these sketchy-seeming characters that are asking him, aren't you with that man? And that man is being tried right now. Weren't you one of his followers? Surely I saw you with him in the garden. Peter is a fearful man. That's an outside factor. And yet there is an even greater factor at work in Peter's fall. How did Peter fall? There are outside factors, specifically fear, but there is also something against him. And when you read about this in Luke chapter 22, you don't need to turn there. If, if you can just listen, I'll tell you what this is. Earlier that evening, Jesus had pulled back the curtain and, and told Peter what, what else was going on here. He said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Yes, there was an outside factor. There was something that was outside Peter, his fear that was affecting him, these things that were causing his fear. But there's also something against him, and that is that there was satanic opposition. Jesus was saying that Satan wanted to have Peter. Now, it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that there are supernatural forces at work in this world. And I'm sure that there may be people here this morning, maybe you struggle with this idea that there could be a personal Satan influencing things. In our culture... It is the intellectually respectable person who does not resort to supernatural explanations. But if, if that's the way you think, may I just ask you to consider, perhaps is this a less sophisticated approach to deny out of hand that there may be superhuman, supernatural influences at work? Could it be that by choosing to disbelieve in the existence of a personal Satan or of demons that you are unable to explain some of the perplexing and bizarre evil that continues to persist in our world? The Bible has an answer for that. There are forces at work that we cannot see. 
This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. There are cosmic powers over this present darkness, as well as spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a reality, and the reason why Jesus is telling us this, and the reason why Jesus is telling Peter this, is not so that he becomes obsessed with the supernatural, not so that he becomes obsessed with demons, but that he is aware of the struggle, and also that he knows that Jesus is praying for him. Jesus is saying this, there is a force out there that wants you, there's an evil force that wants to destroy you, but Jesus also wants them to know, but I'm greater than that, and I'm praying for you, and you can trust me. There are factors in Peter's fall. How did Peter fall? Yes, there was these external factors that were provoking his fear. There was also these factors against him, supernatural powers. But inside him, there was another factor. Other factors, more specifically. And all these would be irrelevant if it were not for these two. At least two personal factors that led to Peter's fall. And here they are. His pride and his unbelief. How did Peter fall? There are outside factors. There are factors against him, but also there's factors within him. Pride and unbelief. Remember how Peter had said, kind of gesturing to the men around him, even though they fall away, I will never fall away. Now to us, we read that and we can say pretty easily, now that's a pretty arrogant sounding statement. We can identify the, the pride in that. But to Peter... I mean, he's just affirming his loyalty to Jesus. <laughs> to, to Peter, it was just that, I mean, this is who I am, and, and this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to be with Jesus. I'm not going to give him up, even if it means going to prison, if it means dying. No, I'm going to be there. And by the way, they can all go, they can go away, but I'm going to stay with Jesus. You see, to us, it sounds arrogant, but to Peter, it could have just been an expression of his loyalty. <laughs> You see, the, the nature of pride is to blind us to reality. Peter failed to take into account his utter weakness. You see, Peter went into this situation thinking that what would define him was his strength. I'm going to go into this crisis and I'm going to come out and I'm going to be the strong one. I'm going to be the one that never abandoned Jesus. That's what he went into this thinking. In fact, that's probably what motivated him to pull out this little sword that he had brought with him. When the soldiers come around Jesus, Peter pulls out this little sword. He starts swinging it around. <laughs> Peter, do you really think you're going to conquer all these guys with one little sword? Oh, but Peter's courageous. He's the bold one. He's going to be the one that comes out strong. He's going to take this little sword and he's going to do some damage. Well, even if Peter's intention was noble and courageous, his aim was really bad. And all he got was a slice of some poor guy's ear. He slashes the sword around in his, in his courage, in his zeal, and Jesus, with one touch, heals the injured man. And tells Peter to put the sword away. And says, the cup that I have been given, should I not drink it? You know, Peter, you misunderstand what this is all about. What Peter was looking at is he was looking at a situation that he thought he could control. That he would come out being the strong one, being the loyal one. And he totally misunderstood what Jesus was actually trying to accomplish. 
You know, Peter's failure here is a perfect example of that proverb that says, a pride goes before a fall. Or in the book of Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What Peter thought was his strength actually became his weakness. And by thinking that he was stronger than he really was, he actually became weaker than ever. This is what pride does to us. But it's not just, pride is not just a vice that makes us look foolish and weak. Pride is a sin that blinds us and keeps us from seeing what we really need to see about ourselves. It, pride is not just an annoying, embarrassing thing. It's not something we find simply annoying in others or embarrassing in ourselves when we discover it. No, no, it's far deeper than that. Pride is something that blinds us from seeing what we really need to see. And there's an example of this blind, the blinding effects of pride. There's a book by a Russian novelist, Fyodor Dostoevsky, it's called The Brothers Karamazov. And in that book, one of the characters tells a story about when he was a young man. He was a dashing, witty, handsome soldier. And he was stationed in a town in Russia in which he fell in love with this with this girl. He, he found himself rising in, in uh, high society and there was this girl there that he fell in love with and assumed that she could simply not resist his charm. And he was stationed in another, he got stationed in another village so he moved on to another village and when he, he, when he came back to the village he had every intention of marrying this girl. And when he came back after being gone for two months he found out that she had just gotten married to somebody else. And to his embarrassment he realized that she had been engaged the whole time that he had known her. But he was so full of himself, he couldn't see anything else but his own charm, his own good looks, his own dashing and, and compelling personality. What he ended up saying was he, had, he said this, I had noticed nothing being blinded by my own merits. Friends, this is what pride does to us. It blinds us by our own merits. It's the very thing that we think is the best about us that blinds us to what is actually the worst about us. Pride, by its very nature, is invisible to the person who has it. That's why it takes something outside of you, such as another individual or an encounter with God himself to see that you've been blinded by pride, that, that pride has smeared over your eyes and kept you from seeing what you really need to see. Pride uses what we think are our own merits to smear our eyes shut to what we most need to understand. And no wonder Peter himself would write these words years later in his first epistle. He would write this, and he knew from experience, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Peter knew what that felt like because he knew what it meant to be blinded by his own pride. How did Peter fall? Well, it's internal factors, pride. But there is another one, and that is unbelief. Peter was not only proud, but he failed to believe something about Jesus. You know, if you know much about the life of Peter, 
you know that he did have faith in Jesus. I mean, he, like I said earlier, he was the one when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? He was the one that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter did believe that. He had great faith in who Jesus was. But here's where Peter failed in his belief. He did not believe in how Jesus was going to accomplish his mission. Peter believed that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He did believe that he was the Son of God. And yet what he had a hard time accepting was how this Messiah was going to bring about salvation for people through his death. You see, Peter wanted to be part of something like we all want to be part of something that is alive and that is powerful and that has uh, potency and that is on the rise. He didn't want to be part of something that was declining. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to die and I'm going to uh, suffer many things at the hands of your religious leaders, that's when Peter says, no, I don't want anything to do with that. That's why as Peter went into the garden of Gethsemane, he decided, I've got to take action against this because this is not the way it's supposed to happen. This is Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Peter believed who he was, but he wasn't willing or ready to believe how he was going to accomplish his mission. And Peter's pride and his unbelief were deeply connected. Peter wanted to believe a certain thing about the way Jesus was going to accomplish his mission. And what Peter could not see at that point was, the great, was that the greatest thing Jesus came to do would not be accomplished by the sword, but by the cross. Not by what sinners could achieve for Jesus but by what Jesus would achieve for sinners. See, this is what was going on. Not what people could do for Jesus, but what Jesus was going to do for people. Peter went into this thinking, I'm going to come out of this defined by, by my strength, by my courage, by my loyalty. But what happened? He failed miserably. That's how Peter fell. But now what did Peter learn? <laughs> what did Peter learn? How did Peter fell? These internal factors of pride and unbelief. But what did Peter learn? Peter had to learn something about himself. And he had to learn something about Jesus. What did Peter learn about himself? Here's what Peter learned. Peter learned that he was more sinful than he had ever imagined. Because he did the very thing he insisted he would never do. He had to come to a point where he learned that he was more sinful than he had up to that point even realized. And we see this from the fact that, G that, that Peter, after he denied Jesus, went out and wept bitterly. Friends, it is a very painful experience to realize that all your grand thoughts about yourself just crumble. It's a very painful thing to realize that what you think are, okay, this is the worst thing I'm, I'm capable of doing, but there's some other things below that I'm incapable of doing. 
and then you do those. Peter realized that he was more sinful. He had to learn that he was more sinful than he realized. You know, true repentance comes in realizing that it's not just our sin that makes us guilty. Not just the, the things that we think of as sin. But it's, it's our own righteous efforts. That's why Isaiah writes that even our righteousness, our righteous deeds in God's sight are as filthy rags. What an astonishing statement about our incapability to have a right relationship with God on our own. Peter went into this thinking that he would define his own identity as being courageous and bold and loyal. And all that was just smashed to smithereens. Jesus, uh, Peter not only learned something about himself, but he had to learn something about Jesus. <laughs> Remember, th these are related to his, uh, the things that led to his downfall, his pride and unbelief. His pride was demolished by what he learned about himself, and his, his belief would be reconstructed according to what he realized about Jesus. You see, Luke gives us a further insight into that night in which Peter denied Christ. And Luke tells us that as Peter was in the courtyard denying Christ, Jesus passed through that courtyard on his way from one trial to the other and looked at Peter. Their eyes met. Their eyes met after Peter had denied Christ a third time. Now, if you were to, if your eyes were to meet the eyes of someone that you had just denied, who was going out to a trial that would lead to his death, wouldn't that just haunt you? I mean, wouldn't you be guessing, what was Jesus thinking when he saw me? What was going on in his mind when, he, when, when I, he, he catches my gaze and I catch his gaze on his way out, surrounded by soldiers, and they're armed, and, and he's going out to be tried, to be executed. What is he thinking? Thoughts of judgment? Peter, I told you so. Thoughts of hurt? Peter, I can't believe you're doing this. You see, there's only one way to interpret that look. And that's from Peter's own words. Again, from his first epistle. Here's how Peter had to interpret that look. Here's what Jesus was thinking when he looked at Peter who had just denied him. Peter writes this, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, Peter at some point had to realize this. That look of Jesus was not a look of condemnation. It was not a look of despair. It was not a look of hurt. It was not a look of scolding. It was a look of love. Because at that moment, it was as if Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm doing this for you. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 
A moment when Peter thought he was going to be defined by his strength, his courage, his loyalty, his pride is crushed. He does the very thing he thought he wasn't capable of doing. And he sees this glance from Jesus and realizes that now Jesus' mission on earth is being accomplished. And it's being accomplished for sinners like, like Peter who are more sinful than they could ever imagine because there is a Jesus who is more loving than Peter had ever hoped. <laughs> he needed to learn something about Jesus. And that is Jesus' love was not just a love that would lead Peter as he had done for three years. Was not just a love that would feed the multitudes as he had done. Was not just a love that would touch lepers and heal them. But was a love this deep. He was going to die for Peter and for all sinners. He was going to die in their place so that he can raise them out of their sin. And so that he could bring them into a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus was doing. And that's what Peter needed to understand. And that's what will ultimately crush his pride. And yet at the same time raise his joy to a height that he could never even imagine. You see, in all this unraveling of our own self-assertiveness and in all this crushing of our pride, there is at the same time a lifting our gaze to Christ and seeing the one who died for us. It's not all about us. What we come out of the crisis with is not my strength, my fortitude, my courage, but it's the love of Jesus Christ. So that what defines us even after a failure is not our strength, not even that failure, but it is Christ's forgiveness and love. Now, how Peter fell, what Peter learned, now how was Peter restored? We come to this conversation between Peter and Jesus. In which Jesus uses Peter's formal name. Kind of like when your mother or dad would call you by your first, middle, and last name. Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Have you ever been talking with someone and they're so much more intelligent than you and you're wondering, are they playing tricks with my mind? What is he getting at? Jesus, you, you, you know that I love you. And then Jesus gives this reply that Peter would never expect. Feed my lambs. And then a third time, Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Why do you keep on asking me this question? Here's what Jesus was doing. Three times Peter had denied Christ. And now three times Christ was giving Peter an opportunity to reaffirm his love for him. Jesus is not punishing Peter. Of all things, Jesus is allowing Peter to say what he should have said there in the courtyard. Now, once again, Peter, you said I never knew him. Now I'm allowing you to tell me that you actually do love me. You notice how different, excuse me, different Peter's 
response was. It, different his attitude was from when he had, he had so vehemently insisted that he would never deny Christ. He said, I'm never going to fall away. And now Peter just humbly resigns himself to Jesus' omniscience and says, Lord, I'm not even going to venture to claim that I love you. I, I'm going to say, you know all things and you know what's in my heart and you know that I love you. What a changed man. What was Jesus doing in this conversation? Some people have speculated about the difference in the verb, uh, the Greek verb for love, which changes here in this conversation. I think most likely what John is doing here is just varying the words stylistically. But what is going on here is that Jesus is unraveling Peter's self-assertiveness. Peter was so self-assertive and now Jesus is is asking a question that requires him to just fall upon Jesus' omniscience. The, lo the focus now was not on Peter. The focus was on Christ. He was giving Peter an opportunity to reaffirm his devotion. And third, he was preparing Peter for service. He was unraveling Peter's self-assertiveness, giving Peter an opportunity to reaffirm his devotion, and preparing Peter for service. You see, Jesus knew that Peter was going to go through some things that would require an undying love for Christ. Peter was going to be a pastor. He was going to preach the gospel. He was going to face persecution. And it was going to take more than love for the sheep to sustain this kind of ministry. It was going to take love for the shepherd that was ultimately rooted in the shepherd's love for him. And furthermore, Peter needed a lead not out of a sense of his own strength but out of a sense of the strength that only Jesus could provide. What if Peter had come through that crisis strong? What if Peter had come through that temptation and he had come through and looked back and said, I did it. I did what I said I was going to do. I stuck with it. I didn't give up on Jesus. I didn't deny him. Then Peter's leadership would have defined, been defined only by his own strength and not by Christ's sustaining love. Peter needed to learn that what would define him was not his strength, was not his courage, was not his loyalty, but only the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's what defines us too, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through. Peter had to learn to prioritize following Jesus because in verse 19, Jesus comes full circle and says to him, Peter, follow me. Those are the words that it all started with. Jesus had said on that Galilean shore, Did Peter, follow me. Three years of excitement have transpired. A Christ crucified and raised again. And now it all comes back to this. Follow me. That's really what it comes down to. Following Jesus, the one who loved us and gave his life for us. Let me speak to you as your pastor, those of you who may be visiting with us as well. Some of you have failed. Failed in a way you never thought you would. What's going to define you? It doesn't need to be your failure. And it certainly won't be your strength. But it can be Christ's forgiveness of you. 
What about those of you who are going through a time in your life and you are scared to death that your faith is going to fail? That you're going to give in? He will hold you fast. What about those of you who have realized for the first time that you have just been relying on all your own good things and haven't realized how sinful you really are? Then look to Jesus. He's the only one that can do for you what you could not do for yourself. And call out to Him and trust in Him as your Savior from your sin.